Okay. So we're calling this episode getting giggy with it. And you're just going to have to live with that. I do want to point out, I looked it up. I can't tell if we're living in the millennium or the millennium ended. Because technically, the millennium came out in 1999. However, I couldn't tell if he was talking like future tense. Because if he's talking that, then I mean, that's like, I mean, a millennium is what, a thousand years? Uh, I'm not really sure how Will Smith time works in the real world. I don't know yeah. if it's like reverse dog years where like <laughs> one Will Smith year is seven regular people years or something. I could see that because he seems to age differently than I do. Yeah, he ages like, uh, have you seen um, the previews for uh, Coming to America 2? I have not. It looks like Coming to America 1. Like <laughs> no one has aged. Oh, yeah. Arsenio Hall does not age at all. I'm convinced of it. I think, was Arsenio Hall 50 when they filmed <laughs> that? And he's like 50 now? Because... He was 50 when he was born. Yeah. He's just it's... always been 50. Just He's like Steve Martin. Yeah. The title comes from the concept for this episode, which is the gig economy. I figured we'd start off by just straight definition from our good old buddies at Investopedia on what exactly gig economy means. So according to them, and quote, in a gig economy, temporary flexible jobs are commonplace and companies tend to hire independent contractors and freelancers instead of full-time employees. A gig economy undermines the traditional economy of full-time workers who often focus on their career development, end quote. And I found the use of undermines in that definition to be kind of interesting, that it undermines the traditional economy. It's so interesting because normally Investopedia is very much like stroking the shaft of capitalist tendencies, but this actually feels like almost like an underhanded slight in a way from Investopedia, which is so strange to me because they are normally up in it in terms of like drinking the Kool-Aid. I'd have to imagine that someone wrote this on Investopedia right after Uber did something super shitty and their stock tanked and he was pissed off. He's like, oh yeah, fuck those guys. Undermines the traditional economy as my stock shares plummet. Name the fucking week and they've done something shitty. Something else that was interesting in this definition because they had a whole page dedicated to just describing the gig economy. And one thing that stood out was that estimates show as much as a third of the working population is already in some kind of gig economy job. A third. It's so fascinating. Yeah. A third of working people are employed in some kind of gig capacity. After reading a bit more about this, I came to understand where that came from. It was in the very next kind of section of this where it really kind of gels on how that third becomes a reasonable number. Because at first glance, I mean, a third of the working population, there's like 100 million people in the working population, 140 or something like that. Something like that. Yeah. So a third of that is a huge number of people. And you're sitting here going, how can a third of the population be gainfully employed in a gig job? And here's where it really comes home. On the employee side of the equation, people often find that they need to move or take multiple positions to afford the lifestyle that they want. It's also common to change careers many times throughout a lifetime, so the gig economy can be viewed as a reflection of this occurring on a large scale. 
key point for here for me is that people often find that they need to take on multiple positions to afford the lifestyle that they want. And I don't think that's a greed thing. I don't think it's like, you know, you have some person who's making like $40,000 a year going, man, I really want a Mercedes. So I'm going to start driving for DoorDash. I think it's more like, you know what? I'd like to eat every night this week. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe lunch would be a cool thing to have every once in a while. Yeah. I took it the same way because I don't think that there's anyone. I mean, there. I won't want to say nobody, but I'm, I mean, cause I'm sure there's people out there that are on the higher end of the wealth spectrum that go out there and just do this for shits and giggles just to meet people. Like I could see doing it every once in a while to go out and be like, Oh, I'm just going to go pick up some people on the car and drive them around and talk to meet some randos. In terms of uh, ability to like understand the population here, I, unfortunately I participate well, I, d- I don't participate in the gig economy insofar as me being a driver. But every Friday, uh, my wife and I order Indian food. And it's always a really interesting scenario figuring out who the driver is for this because we order it through DoorDash. It's interesting because you get these people who are showing up in Mercedes. I'm like, I got to ask, like... What are you doing? You're in a Mercedes. And they're just like, yeah, I'm just bored. Like some older gentleman or even like I've been picked up in an Uber that was like a super nice car. Yeah. And they're like, yeah, I was the chief engineer for some airplane company and I have like 18 patents and I wouldn't have had to have worked a day in my life from the time I was 40, but I just like doing stuff. And you're just like, I'm sorry, what the fuck? I remember the last time I flew which was forever ago. We took an Uber or Lyft or whatever back to the airport and they had a designated drop-off area for all the rideshare app people to get dropped off. The car we were in was relatively nice and we get out and here it rolls up a Model X letting people out with the Uber and Lyft stickers in the car. It's like... You're driving a $100,000 car going around (laughs) giving people rides. I came to find out that this isn't even that uncommon. You can actually pay to upgrade to, I think it was Uber Green or something, to ride around in like high efficiency in electric cars. Wait, what? Uber Green? I've never even heard of that. Maybe I've been so far out of the game. I found it today. There was the regular Uber rate. Then there was the Uber X and then there was Uber green. So I'm <laughs> damn. Yeah. All I different rates. I didn't even know about that. I knew, I knew about the like upgraded Uber. And I think I even saw that Dubai has an option to get a helicopter ride through Uber. What the fuck? That's so cool. That's just a total Dubai thing to do. Rest in peace, Kobe. The lifestyle that associated with these drivers, I think is a broad spectrum. I would venture a guess, though, that most of them are probably driving Uber to supplement their income to be able to afford their rent, car payments, insurance, whatever. Because I don't think that the majority of these Uber drivers are out there just because they want to be. I mean, it's very, very small population selection where you sit in and it's just like, yeah, I retired like a year ago and I just felt like getting back out there instead of just like, 
I lease this car with the last $200 of my savings. And I'm hoping that I don't get in an accident and that I can make some money to survive in this country. I don't think it's people that are necessarily on the super low end either. I think it's more of that middle ground of, I think it's people that are like, yeah, I'm making enough money, but if I had a little bit extra, it would really help out kind yeah. of territory. At least to drive Uber. I think you have to have a car that's been manufactured in like the last 10 years. Actually, one thing I found out that's kind of fucked up is you can do a car loan through Uber. Of course you can. You can drive out the debt that you owe. That sounds terrible. So you make no money on it. And it's at like consolidated rate. So it's you're not making a dollar. You're making like 75 cents or something like that. Yeah. So... Gig economy makes up a list of a bunch of different types of companies. And so I had no idea of the scale of this, which is kind of sad considering the name. In my mind, there was Uber, Lyft, DoorDash, Deliver, whatever the food ones are that are out there now. I hadn't really thought about a lot of these other ones as being different examples of this stuff, but the list was gigantic. And the number of areas that this is in, I had never really considered. Some of these companies I hadn't considered gig economy until I saw the name on there and thought about what they do and said, oh yeah, this definitely fits. Sector wise, I kind of went through and I made the list of the sectors that they're in and picked out an example or two that fits that. First sector was accommodation. This one was a huge name, Airbnb. Have you seen uh, Verbo ads on YouTube? Oh yeah. my God, such fucking boomer bullshit where it's like that face that's usually buried in a cell phone is now smiling that you're fucking fly fishing while she's sitting on the bank having to watch you fucking fly fish. Oh my God, it's so fucking cringy. And it's like verbo. And it's like where the boyfriend becomes family. It's like, who are you fucking talking to? <laughs> So fascinating who they're marketing to versus if you like look up their website, you can tell they're trying to market to like, I'd say wealthy millennials, all 10 wealthy millennials that exist. We've used it before. You've used Verbo? I've used Verbo. Jerry, what? You can go on there. You can find a whole list of places. And then if you throw the address into Google, it'll bring up a website that you can rent it for cheaper. Most of these places are usually rented through somewhere else. Yeah, it'll have a VRBO price. And then if you go direct to them, you knock off a couple hundred dollars. Wait, I say Verbo. You say VRBO. Yeah, because Verbo sounds pretty douchey. The whole thing is douchey. So I assume it's Verbo. I had never really thought of Airbnb as a gig economy thing. I guess it technically fits the theme. I mean, it kind of does. It's more just people renting out stuff through a website. I don't know that I guess it fits the gig economy idea, but it's you got to like do shit, though. Like you, you got to like clean the apartment or whatever you're because not necessarily you can have a service do it for you. That's true. That's true. And I know that people that rent out multiple Airbnbs will do that. They'll just have a service that goes and deals with all of their stuff. And they're usually listed on more than just Airbnb, I think. But this idea that Airbnb, because you own a thing that you're basically renting out time on, which Mm -hmm. to me seems, I guess it's the same kind of thing as renting your car out, but you're actually physically there. Airbnb was just the first group. 
there were some other ones on there I didn't recognize the names of. But then the next category was one that really made me question the home gig economy thing, and that was caregiving. <laughs> oh, no. Yeah, just go on care.com, find some rando to come watch grandma for a while. <laughs> and then pair that up with your insurance not paying stuff out. So you got to yeah. go on... Um, GoFundMe. Yeah, that's the one. Yeah, the GoFundMe care.com combo is basically like the American dream. Yeah, that's American <laughs> healthcare all wrapped up. Which it goes even further because there is a health services category for gig economy, which includes things like Pager and Nomad Health, which are freelance doctors that will help you. Is Pager Life Alert? No, different. Is there any of these where it's just like, just go check in on some elderly person? Is that care.com? Uh, maybe. I'm sure that might be an option. I didn't go too far into them. I read a brief description of some of these ones because I was more curious about them. But I didn't want to go down the caregiving rabbit hole because <laughs> I didn't want to be super pissed off <laughs> at what this actually does. Because I guess, can you imagine like Life Alert where it's just like them having to have kind of a boardroom conversation where they're like, we are getting fucking outbid by Fiverr. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So the next category was delivery, which included things like shipped. And Amazon Flex, which I hadn't heard of before. Wait, what? Yeah, Amazon Flex is a delivery service like shipped. So hmm. they'll go pick up your shit and bring it to you. I mean, I guess that kind of makes sense. Grocery was another category, which included shipped and Instacart. Instacart I've used. Food was another category, which is like the really big one right now for DoorDash post. That's the battleground. Yeah. I feel like food you constantly see, especially that really fucking annoying commercial for what is it, DoorDash, where they're all dancing and they're like this weird, like kind of 3D animation claymation thing. Yeah, it can't be as bad as Kroger's. Uh, Kroger, I actually was reading an interesting write up where somebody was talking about the corporate art style. And Kroger is kind of the epitome of it, where it's basically like... They stole Nintendo Miis. Yeah, pretty much. And then they turned them into an even creepier looking thing <laughs> and made a commercial. Yeah, how do we really creep the fuck out of people? And then they sprinkled it throughout the entire store, and you're just like, oh, Jesus Christ. What is this? I don't need that when I'm looking at oranges. There's a demon in the liquor section. <laughs> Education, I see on here. VIP kid was the only one on that list. And this is only in China, which kind of makes sense. I do know that there are um, tutoring services. Yes, but they didn't quite fit the gig economy thing because a lot of them, you get to set your rates for tutoring, which mm. the gig economy thing was specifically that you don't set your rate. The company does, which that's why I feel that Airbnb doesn't quite fit. Right. Well, that's even like if you take out the like not being able to set your rate, then basically substitute teaching as a gig economy. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> Freelancing is the next section. It has Amazon Mechanical Turk. And then there's a whole bunch of other stuff that fit into this category, but they were included in other areas as different pieces. Amazon Mechanical Turk is like the strangest fucking thing to me because you have like all these like bleeding edge shit on AWS. And then they're like, and for anything else where you just need a person to sit in front of a screen and work for slave wages, Amazon Mechanical Turk. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
They've kind of got the whole market on slavery. God, they're so good at it. So businesses and technical services was Upwork, which also kind of fits into this creative services, which included Fiverr and CrowdSpring. Because I know that Fiverr, you have a lot of technical services you can get done too, like web design and, and things like that. So LegalZoom, that's so lawyers sign up for that, and they then, must. Um, and that's in the legal services category. Legal Uber. I was under the assumption that they were contracting them, but uh, they, maybe not. Uh, um, retail had Etsy, and then transportation was the last category with Uber, Lyft, and Bird, the scooters. I feel like you gotta have some real balls going for the legal crowd. Like if you're trying to rope contract lawyers into doing gig work, you're really walking a tightrope. So the big things that LegalZoom pushes right now are starting an LLC. That took me like 10 seconds. 10 seconds and $100. I say at least in our state, starting an LLC is like monkey work. Because we love small business like Ronald Reagan intended. They also do wills. And I haven't gone down that route, but I'm assuming that the will is basically like a will builder kind of thing that you do on a website and then they just have a lawyer sign off on it when it's done. So I don't know exactly what they're offering and where a lawyer fits in versus... Part of me kind of wants to put them through the ringer to see if they like have the chops where it's like you set up a scenario that is so fucking wild. They have a patent helper, allegedly. And that one is one that I'm super curious on because a lot of that isn't just boilerplate. No. Maybe the initial filing to set up the date on it is, but outside of that, it's very specific. I remember trying to set up our patent. It was harder than doing fucking taxes. Oh, yeah. Way harder. Yeah. Just even the paperwork. Not like even the technical diagrams required. But actually, what's so wild, though, is that like, at least in our scenario, you had like two things where it's like i was trying to look up oh what are things that already exist and there are patents where it's like i'm patenting every type of wireless communication present past and future and it's like napkin bullshit and you're like how did that become a patent what the fuck and then you have other patents that are like so incredibly specific that you're like well if i just change this like one letter I'm like, good yeah. <laughs> from this bat. It's a weird area. Going through the list, there were some key takeaways of what creates a gig economy company. Are we considering Etsy to be a gig economy? Because then I'd feel like we'd have to consider eBay a gig economy. Well, Etsy, you're contracting out making stuff. Oh, yeah, I guess that's right. I was thinking more it was like pre-made crafty no, bullshit, th- but it's really, yeah, no, I see what you're saying, where it's more like my dog's name is Samson, and then you get like a little like Samson coaster or like Samson etched glass. There were some key points that kind of went into making up what is a gig economy company. Those kind of consisted of... You get the raw fucking deal. <laughs> more or less, yeah, the... Employees work as contractors or they're not even actually associated with the company at all. Like in the Etsy case, you're more or less just a user of a website that's selling your stuff through them. Well, that's what um, Uber was doing because there was, or maybe it was Lyft. They had one, or well, they've had multiple drivers, but there was one specific driver that I recall off the top of my head 
where they were like picking up women and then like raping them or like sexually assaulting them. Yeah, that was Uber. And they're like, we're not responsible because they're technically not our employee was like their kind of legal defense. Yeah. And that didn't work. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Because the lady that was assaulted did not just happen to like walk up to some random car on the street and hop in. She ordered this car through the service and was directed into the car by the company. So if I recall, they didn't get away with that claim. The other key features of a gig economy company are that you don't really get any kind of standard employee benefits like health insurance, paid time off, 401k or retirement. And you're basically on the hook for your own equipment and insurance. Now, in the case of Etsy, that's maybe not so big of a deal because you're more or less selling your own stuff through their store, which you kind of be, expect to be on the hook for that. And you're basically paying them a listing fee, which is yeah, not they're... really any different than you would pay if you were to go to like a general store of some sort and get them to, to sell your stuff too. Like if I'm selling crafty shit and I go to like restoration hardware or something like that and say, hey, I've got these coasters that are made out of concrete. They're very hot right now. And then they list them on their shelf. You're still not an employee. But in the case of Uber or Lyft or whatever, you are very much tied into their business. Uber needs you just as much as you need them. If Etsy were to go away, this person could still sell their stuff on their own website with no big deal. (laughs) Another big key feature of a lot of these gig economy companies was that they claim that you get to pick your own hours. Gig economy here, we're really focusing on the Ubers, the Lyfts, well, even the Airbnb kind of fits into this, but you get to pick your own hours of when you're doing this stuff, but not really, because if you're an Uber driver, you're only going to be allowed to drive, well, you're not going to be, you're allowed to drive whenever, but you're only going to be able to drive when someone needs a ride. The most beneficial time for you to drive is going to be when there's surge pricing. Yeah. Which means that there is a shitload of people that need rides. And they're all fucking drunk. Yeah. So if a concert lets out, a major sporting event lets out, that's when you're going to want to be there. Remember how we were talking about the people doing the gig economy where they're like millionaire retirees? Yeah. The only time I've met millionaire retirees has been going to the airport very, very early in the morning. (laughs) where they like don't give a fuck about surge pricing but they know they'll still get like the occasional ride and it's always just like joffrey is about to show up at like 5 10 in the morning (laughs) type of thing and you know you're fucking in like tommy bahamas getting ready to go to hawaii uh columbus international and uh they're telling you their whole life story and (laughs) at no other point in time do you have those people? Because then the other people you get when you're like coming home from the bars, it's like a very different demographic of driver. It's probably because the millionaire doesn't want anyone puking in his car. That was pretty much the exact point. The last time uh, my wife and I went to the airport, we were going on our honeymoon to Hawaii. The guy was like, that was our Mercedes ride. And I was like, why am I riding in a Mercedes at five o'clock in the morning? This dude's like, yeah, he's like, I did it once and somebody threw up in my car and I had to get it detailed like three times to get the puke smell out. And he's like, so now I pretty much just do airport runs. 
Yeah, he just does it for shits and giggles. Yeah, he's like, yeah, whatever, no big deal. I'm like, oh, cool, 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 cool. The uh, last key point of the gig economy kind of position was that there's no set career path. My statement on this was that you're starting on the ground floor of a one-story building. (laughs) That's so good. You join in as an Uber driver, and you're never going to be more than an Uber driver. You can't move up in the company. There's no going up from there. The only thing that you might get better at is gaming the system to figure out where you need to be, how you can get there better, how you can spend less time waiting, and how you can pick up rides faster. But you're never going to go above driver. You're always going to be at that level. That's like the nonprofit I worked for. The CEO was somebody who started at the bottom, you know, like it was like a case manager or whatever. And then they're like, oh, I worked here for 30 years and now I'm the CEO. You can't possibly have that at Uber where it's like, I drove Uber for 15 years and then now I'm the CEO of Uber. Exactly. That's never going to happen. And now we'll move into Uber so you can share some of your stories. But oh my God. All right. It's not a story as much as it is. I'm fucking mind boggled. All right. It's based on my impression of it. So I read a story about how Uber formed. And it's basically two people who wouldn't know a computer if it climbed up their asshole. And they're like, I've got an idea where we're going to combine essentially slave labor and taxis. Although, you know what? Uber did improve the taxi situation. It did. The taxi situation was fucked up. Like even in Columbus, you had to sit there and you'd have to be like, okay, you call twos. Cause at least in Columbus, it was always like you dialed the area code and then it was like two, 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 two. It was fours, wasn't it? Yeah. Well, there's twos, fours, and then there's uh, like one, two, one, two or something like that. And so we'd have to sit there amongst friends and be like, okay, you call twos, I'll call fours. And then you call somebody who's like, you can tell is so fucking overworked. Like the central controller where they're like, hello. And you're just like, oh, uh, hi. And they're like, where do you want to go? And you're just like, oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> like, fuck. <laughs> and, uh, and Uber was so much better. Well, Uber it, took it and made an app out of that and right. said, you just select that you want to ride and then any number of drivers can pick it up. Yeah. So that was huge. And now taxis are doing it. And I even saw a freaking taxi the other day rolling around. Like it was a Tesla with the um, yellow cab on it. And it was a white oh. taxi, which was really weird. Like they didn't go out the extra mile and paint it yellow. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, as much as I like am about to definitely hate on them, they did change the game in terms of how shitty taxis were. And like taxis had like no fucking intent to change because I'd love how it just be like you'd sit in a taxi and you'd be like, Hey, do you take card? And they'd be like, no cash only. And they'd have a card reader on the back of their fucking seat. And it's just like, Oh fuck Christ. Taxis were terrible. I took one in Las Vegas and we were literally going from one end of the strip to the other end. Were you going old to new or new to old? No, no, no end of new to end of new oh wow (laughs) (laughs) and said we don't want to walk the mile and a half or whatever it is right because we had all of our luggage where were you going to we were going from stratosphere to luxor ish so all the way from one end to the other 
And the cab ride, he was like, because you get in a gridlock, the entire freaking strip is always bumper to bumper traffic. Yeah. And he's like, oh, we can take you off to the side and get you there faster. It still took 20 freaking minutes to go a mile and a half. And it ended up costing us like $30 Jesus to ride Christ. in a cab. Yeah. And so now Uber isn't that much different. And I kind of wanted to go through how they set up their charges and how that affects the drivers. So I decided to go on and just look up a ride from the local library to the airport. I got this super complicated fee structure that, that came up where it's like, okay, the estimates that is going to be about like $18 to get me there. And when you click on how they came up with that estimate. Which for reference, taxi wise, it is a flat $23. To go to the airport? Yeah, it is now. Interesting. At least the last time I went. An Uber or a taxi? Taxi. So all the taxis in town decided they'd like come together, hold hands, and it's always a flat rate. Well, that's interesting because that'll come up later. I've got something that ties into that. Sure. Yeah. So it gives you this big breakdown that includes base fare, per minute pickup fee, per mile pickup fee, booking fee, minimum fare, per minute fare, per mile fare, and the number of riders factors in as well. Wait, what is per mile to pick up? So that's that's almost a dollar. Some of these are grayed out too. So I don't understand that. Like I don't understand what the grayed out fees are, what the non-grayed out fees are. It didn't explain any of this and there was no way to go look it up. Because I tried to look up what these fees actually meant and there was no real explanation. It just gives you a number at the end and says, yeah, we estimate like $18 or $20 or whatever mm -hmm. it was. Uh, I went onto a different website that tried to break down some of this and said that the rider pays a booking fee, which is to cover the regulatory safety and operational costs, which is weird because it doesn't. The service fee covers that from the driver's side. And then there were the per minute and per mile fees, which are standard taxi kind of areas, which is always interesting to me because you're not tied to distance or time. It's both which makes sense because mm -hmm. you don't want to screw the driver over who's driving six miles but stuck in rush hour traffic. But it sucks to be the customer in that situation because you're pissed off that you're stuck in a car for 45 minutes to go six miles and you're pissed off that you're paying for it. Right. That was the rider side. But then the driver side was even weirder. I've never driven for Uber. I don't have any firsthand experience on this. You're not going to drive for Uber Green now that you know it exists? No, I'm not. I don't <laughs> want people to puke in my car. The part that I was really curious about was how much an Uber driver makes. The entire breakdown on how much an Uber driver makes was basically, it boils down to, it varies. Uber takes a service fee, which makes sense. They're basically charging the driver some piece to be connected to all these riders through the service, which is mm -hmm. perfectly fair. That seems reasonable. You're matching up this driver with a customer. That's fair enough. The service fee is variable. And so that was confusing in itself. But I looked this up and straight from Uber's website, and I quote, Uber's service fee varies to make upfront pricing work. Upfront pricing is based in part on the estimated time and distance of the trip. But drivers earn based on actual time and distance. The service fee is lower if the trip takes longer than predicted. So basically, they gave a scenario where a rider has some promotions 
and the trip took longer than expected. And Uber actually pays the driver in that case. The service fee was negative to compensate for the fact that the rider didn't pay so much. So the goal there was to get the driver up to even on it. But the other example that they gave was what they called a well-matched ride, which was what I took to mean an ideal situation. This is where they were able to like fully predict. Yeah, everything was right. They calculated everything correctly. The rider paid full price. They got Mm -hmm. there in the time expected. It was the exact distance they expected. All the stars aligned and everything worked out great. The example that they gave was the rider price was $18. The driver's earnings was $11 and the service fee was $7. Now that's a 39% cut just for providing that service. That's a bit steep. That seems excessively steep. I mean, when people looked at the Apple App Store and then in the Google Play Store and said, holy shit, Google's taking 30% just for offering up a credit card processor and store to buy apps that people made to make their phones more popular. <laughs> people were pissed off at 30%. And here's Uber like, oh, no, we just, we'll take half the money that this rider's paying and we'll keep it and give the driver the other half. Here's an idea. So if drivers are not technically your employees, here's my pitch. You know, heist movies, how they always have a driver. Mm-hmm. What about that? Like you're a heist driver. And the idea is, is that people can conscript heist drivers instead of taking a cut based on like mileage. We take it on like the heist take. I believe that's called Uber extreme. <laughs> There's the night. So going further into this, I decided to look up how much people were reporting and how much it actually came out to. I found this interesting tidbit that said prior to 2019, drivers had to drive about 2.7-ish miles to make $10. And then by 2019, that had gone up to 4.71 miles to make $10 before fees. And so I think this directly correlates to your taxi observation. So as the taxi companies got their shit together, they probably became a little bit more competitive. And then Mm -hmm. Uber had to start lowering prices to remain competitive there. I think that probably all ties together. Oh, I bet. Because I definitely noticed like an uptick on, at least when I was living downtown between like taxis that got like apps and they would have like minimum mileage. So they'd say, you know, anything within X number of miles from here is a flat rate type of yeah, thing to which get is you huge. to drive more with Uber. Yeah, which there were quite a few times where I'd choose taxis over Uber. A flat rate is huge given certain times of going. That's insane. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was pretty awesome. Yeah, And so my last point before we go into the stuff that's really going to piss you off, but just <laughs> the earnings for a driver. And I found earnings from last January. So January 2020 for our home area of Columbus, Ohio. The median earnings for a driver were about fourteen seventy nine an hour. That was a median earnings per mile of about eighty cents before expenses. Now I took that and said, "Well, the IRS has a mileage rate. Anytime you drive your personal car for work, you're expected to get paid fifty six cents per mile as of twenty twenty one. So it was fifty seven and a half when that earnings rate was calculated, but We'll take the lower number for now for some math. 
once you remove that 56 cents per mile from the 80 cents you'd be earning with Uber, you're left with 24 cents per mile for driving. The average Uber trip to get to that average hourly wage is about 18 and a half miles. Now that leaves you with a driver making only 444 an hour. Now, if we were to take a look at the minimum wage in Ohio, which is like 855 an hour, you're at roughly half of minimum wage driving for Uber after adjusting for the cost of gas insurance and maintenance on your car. Jesus. I don't know about you, but that doesn't seem like an ideal scenario to me. Sure does not. I mean, I'm sure the Uber CEOs don't make that much then, obviously. No, they're probably making like 30 grand a year. This is what I was going to get to earlier. I think the thing that boggles my fucking mind is if it, that if you read the story of Uber, just like two dudes who like came up with like the really like high level details and then just had enough money to pay people to fucking figure it out. Yeah, that's called venture capital and they got a ton of it. I know, it's so fucking dumb. Where it's just like, I just want to combine... Actually, you know what? Here we go, right now. I'm going to turn gig economy. Um, we'll even do the lane of Uber. So it's Uber, but every Uber driver gets a camera in the car and it records you. And then that video becomes an NFT. And so if you don't want that being mass distributed, you have to buy it as an NFT at the end of the thing. And we'll call it a flat $6 million. I have a better idea. And it's called Uber Cash Cab. Oh, I'd be so fucking into that. You could pair with the, what's that trivia crack that <laughs> yeah. is like bankrupt. Yeah. You pair up with trivia crack. It's Uber trivia crack. And if you answer all your trivia questions, your ride's free. Yes. And if you're committing a heist, <laughs> the take is reduced from 20% to 10%. <laughs> and last bit on the wages. Uber was actually slapped with a $20 million fine in New York for claiming that New York City drivers could make 90K a year driving for Uber. (laughs) $90,000? All right, so let's try to even imagine a scenario where you're making $90,000. One, it would have to be like, you'd have to be driving during like Bruce Springsteen and like resurrected corpse of Michael Jackson concerts. Well, I'm assuming they basically just took their like prime time and calculated out like best case scenarios. It's like if you drove during like the biggest multipliers and you were able to just be like the single most like productive human being on the face of the planet, you get to like seventy thousand dollars a year and then they just like rounded it up for like cost of living or something okay so now the part that's really going to piss you off oh good most of this happens in california from a legal perspective and that's just because california believes that people are people well i'm guessing that's that and the fact that these companies are headquartered there in 2019 california signed into law California Assembly Bill 5. I actually remember. Yeah, that. it was a big deal. Never in my life did I expect to even be aware of like California law. But I do remember that this was a huge deal. The explanation was that based on the Supreme Court of California case from 2018 called Dynamex Operations West 
versus Superior Court. The court held that most wage-earning workers are employees and ought to be classified as such, and that the burden of proof for classifying individuals as independent contractors belongs to the hiring entity. What this basically said was that, no, Uber, your drivers are employees and you need to pay them as such. This did not make Uber or Lyft or a number of other companies very happy. I feel like they go bankrupt. Like they legitimately had to pay people as employees. Well, they did. That's the whole thing. Well, I mean, across the United States. So if this became like federal law. Oh, yeah. Versus like state They law, wouldn't go bankrupt. The price would just go up and then taxi prices would go up and then your everyday person would have to pay more. We'd be back in the same fucking position as before where you're... You're waiting for a taxi. <laughs> but the part that was interesting about this was the number of exemptions made in this AB5. It excluded doctors, dentists, psychologists, insurance agents, stockbrokers, lawyers, accountants, engineers, real estate agents, travel agents, graphic designers, songwriters, architects. Songwriters. Yes. (laughs) Yep. Songwriters, architects, youth sports coaches. All right. (laughs) Here's what I'm going to say. Only because the most recent Mighty Ducks TV thing came out. Have you seen it? No. So the Mighty Ducks are the bad guys in this one. They're like the Eagles. So they cover kind of. Kind of, yeah. I know I've pointed this out like a thousand times before. But so the coach of the Eagles, if he, even in his first year, was coaching Emilio Estevez, that still would have put him at coaching this youth hockey team at like, 25 years or something crazy what boggles the mind is that it's not like this guy was making like a livable wage off of this so he either had another job or like was retired because i mean he looks like bill belichick so he looks like he could be anywhere between like 70 and 200 years old but definitely has a giant (laughs) Philly cheesesteak sub in his hand yeah a thousand percent it's just so crazy because as an adult When you see this, you're like, oh, so we're supposed to shit on this guy now just because he's volunteering his fucking time and he's actually developed a really good system for creating elite hockey players at the age of like 10. I'm fucking sorry. So when you say youth sports coaches, I think that that is a slight to the people who give themselves up like discount Bill Belichick coaching the Eagles against the Mighty Ducks. I'm just saying. Well, I've got good news for you. He's exempt from California Assembly Bill 5. (laughs) Son of a bitch. And that's good, too, because he was in California. So it all works out. No, I thought they were. They're in um, Minnesota. Well, I can't be expected to remember the details of a movie from like a thousand years ago, Nate. Uh, well, then maybe you should watch it every four months like I do (laughs) just to make sure that Disney doesn't change. The real takeaway was they included some other professions in there and it was basically anyone that could set their prices directly to the customer, like hairstylists can, was oh, exempt yeah. from the bill. I mean, that kind of makes it sense. It does. Like, it makes sense because it's basically saying these are all people who can make more money by setting their own prices. You're not going to go pick a driver and pay them extra just because you like the driver. A hairstylist is a different situation. Youth sports coaches, are they really setting their prices? I don't know. (laughs) Here's the interesting part, was that once this bill passed, Uber made changes to their app. 
And one of those changes included a test run of the ability for the driver to set their own rates. That is 100% Uber trying to fit these drivers into the category of, no, they're not setting the price by us. This is the drivers are independent contractors who can set their own rates. So better drivers will get more customers and make more money. Like that is 100% Uber trying to skirt that law. Another interesting side effect of this AB5 was the Recording Academy, who I had no idea who they were, but apparently they're the people that hold the Grammys. Oh. So they have a name now. They complained that it would negatively impact gigging musicians. So their claim was that the law would require music venues to classify musicians as official employees of the venue, which seems like a stretch. Uh, Yeah, I don't know about that, though. So the real interesting part, though, was that Last year, the Lake Tahoe Music Festival announced that it was shutting down after 40 years due to California Assembly Bill 5 and COVID-19. I feel like one of those has a much bigger impact than the other. I'm glad that you're on the same wavelength (laughs) as me because I read that and I was like, oh, is it the fact? We should declare that for our business. We should be like, (laughs) we lost. Or we had a net loss of two grand this year because of COVID-19 and (laughs) and then just named something else. Yeah. (laughs) Like, was it this passing of this new bill that vaguely may impact how much we have to pay musicians that come here, but not necessarily? Or was it the fact that we couldn't hold the music festival due to the global pandemic that was happening? One of these was a factor, Mm. most definitely. (laughs) Nobody's buying tickets. That's got to be AB5. We haven't been able to nail down exactly which one of these it was. We're just sure it was one of them. But... (laughs) Jesus Christ. <laughs> See, I, I feel like, though, in that case, wouldn't it have been like the people who are like setting shit up, like the roadies would be the employees? The argument sounds stupid to me as a whole. So we're not even going to go into that. What was really important was what this kicked off. And that was California Proposition 22. So in 2019, AB5 was signed into law. And by 2020, They were already voting on Prop 22, which was a ballot initiative to basically override the AB5 rules for gig economy drivers. I remember this too. I actually remember getting served ads on YouTube. That's good because this was like six months ago. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yes, I do have uh, short-term memory issues. No, I remember getting served ads where it's like, I'm an Uber driver and I'm trying to make fucking money, but I can't because of this AB5. Like it was counter AB5. (laughs) I just remember going, okay, well, you know, I guess I appreciate the effort on this, but uh, I'm in fucking Ohio. Yeah. (laughs) What the fuck am I going to do about this? But then I realized that... um, the VPN I use puts my IP address in California. Well, that makes sense. It served a lot of California shit. So Prop 22, the goal was to exempt employers from providing the full suite of mandated employee benefits, which included time and a half for overtime, paid sick time, employer-provided health care, bargaining rights, and unemployment insurance. So their whole goal was to drop that from all gig economy drivers. The thing that made this incredibly insane was the fundraising behind it and what 
ended up being the spend on this. There was over $200 million spent on both sides of Prop 22. So I get the Uber, Lyft, they're pushing one way. Who's spending the other way? So, and this is the thing that's incredibly insane. So the other side was largely labor unions and Teamsters, that kind of thing. Basically, employee rights advocates. Um, People acting in the interest of people. Yeah. So the no side of that, those labor unions raised $15 million of that 200 plus million. Just to clarify. The no side has $15 million behind it. And the other side has like 200. They had 187. And so saying yes to Prop 22 adds the exemption and saying no to Prop 22 basically keeps AB5 the same. Correct. Okay. So the spokesman, Mike Roth, for no on Prop 22, had this quote, the no side always knew it was going to be outspent, but we didn't think we'd be outspent 13 to 1. No corporation should be able to buy their own laws. I'm inclined to agree with Mr. Roth there, but Uber, Lyft, DoorDash, and I think there was Instacart, Postmates, there was a bunch of these gig economy companies that ended up raising that $187.5 million in favor of Prop 22, which was to basically to make gig economy drivers exempt from AB5. Now, ultimately what ended up happening was they had to make concessions into this and they ended up giving drivers a 120% of local minimum wage for each hour spent driving a passenger. But that excludes waiting time. So if you only spend half of your time driving for a passenger, you're going to have to work two hours to get that guaranteed minimum wage. What the fuck? It added 30 cents per mile for expenses on miles driven with passenger. So it explicitly said driven with passenger. So I assume that doesn't include pickup. Health insurance stipend for drivers driving more than 15 hours a week requires company to pay medical costs and some lost income for drivers hurt while driving or waiting, which is just insane to me that that didn't exist before. So basically, if you were right. hurt on the job, it was like, no, nah, you're an independent contractor. That's on you. And then it prohibits workplace discrimination and requires that companies develop sexual harassment policies, conduct criminal background checks, and mandate safety training for drivers, which really makes you kind of curious about who was driving for Uber before. Yeah. So these would be things that wouldn't be included in Prop yes. 22? So these were the concessions that went in to get Prop uh, 22 passed. I see was basically that Uber and Ken had to basically concede some points in favor of the employees to get this passed. You got to think about it, though. They already paid $200 million in day in terms of Uber, Lyft, or Dash, Instacart. But at the same time, even with these concessions, plus $200 million, there's still money to be made. Oh, there. yeah. Which just tells you the extent to which they're basically raking these drivers over the coals. Right. How much is underpaid at this level is just got to be insane. And I wish it stopped there, but it doesn't. So in 2016, the FBI actually opened an investigation into Uber over anti-competitive practices. Um, Uber had created this program that they called Hell, which was in comparison to their Heaven program, which was Heaven View, which was the kind of... um like what they always do in movies where you've got the big screen that can show where all the drivers are and everything like that. It was basically the super admin kind of view of everything yeah. going on in, in Uber. 
Well, hell was the opposite side of that where they had created a bunch of fake Lyft accounts so they could basically spy on Lyft drivers to see where they were. There was a thing too where they could tell if you were an Uber driver and a Lyft driver and if you were like switching back and forth. It was tied into this. They could basically tell because they knew you were an Uber driver already so they could track that. And if you were the driver coming to pick up this Lyft rider or were in this area for the Lyft rider, then they knew it was you as well. I tried to find and I didn't find anything on them basically using that knowledge to hurt their own Uber drivers. But I swear that there was something back then that said that they were... They got in trouble in Columbus for it. It was... um. If you were driving Lyft and Uber, they deprioritized you in the queue. Yeah. And they got in trouble for that. Okay. So there was something. I could have sworn that there was something, but I couldn't come up with the exact search to find that. Well, they were doing things. This was elsewhere. They would request things in your area. So you'd pick them up and then they'd cancel rides. That was just to have like, essentially flood ride cancellations in Lyft so to get their drivers overcommitted. And there was like some sweet spot that because Lyft was always kind of branded as like you get paid more as a driver. You have more kind of like control over it. You get paid more as a driver. And so Uber found like some sort of sweet spot in terms of like requesting and canceling a ride. And they would request and cancel rides like in bulk i remember they got in trouble for that that's what uber was doing with this hell program was trying to basically find out a whole bunch about lift operations and fill in spots they were missing drivers Um, another interesting thing was that there has been basically the list was any kind of service that has a driver involved has been sued for some violation of company policy on tips DoorDash was, I think, kind of the poster child for that. Well, yeah. So there was DoorDash. Then there was Amazon Flex, Uber, Lyft, Instacart, Shipped, Postmates. They all have been sued for similar things. I've never heard of Amazon Flex. It deeply concerns me because usually it's the companies you don't hear about (laughs) that are like the shittiest. I mean, it starts with Amazon, so I assume it's shitty. Have you seen the most recent stuff about Oh, no, you sent it to me about how Amazon's like, no, our people don't like piss in bags. And then uh, AOC sent that internal memo about drivers shitting in bags. When they released that, there was a whole ton of reporters that came back with stories and pictures and everything proving that people were pissing in bottles. There's like the piss jar shelf. And someone said... The piss bottles most definitely exist because I was in charge of cleaning them up. (laughs) Yeah. But long story short, um, (laughs) in 2019, the U.S. Department of Labor declared that gig economy workers are not employees. So, Oh, thank God. I was so worried that we might actually like be kind to humans at some point. Yeah, and so... You have this group of people that lacks a minimum wage, overtime, insurance, PTO, retirement accounts, maternity leave. You name the normal employment benefits that you would get as a full-time employee, and they're just not there. What ends up happening is that this classification has a real impact on these people's taxes because not only are they on the hook for their normal share of taxes and income, but they're also getting taxed as being self-employed. 
So they got to pay unemployment, Medicare, all that shit. Yeah, they're on the hook for paying into Social Security and Medicare, and like a little bit extra to cover the self-employment side. And that also means that the company isn't paying into unemployment for these people, which reduces the amount of funds in unemployment. So not only are they making half the amount of money than minimum wage, they're also making less than that because they also have to pay into all the other happy shit that self-employed people have to pay into. Well, it all depends because if your level of income is low enough, you're not going to pay taxes, but... Yes. Well, and it also all depends too, because if you're working in New York, you're making $90,000 a year as an Uber driver. Yeah, that's true. But basically all the goal of the whole gig economy thing was to shift responsibility away from the company for the services that the company is providing, which makes sense from a business standpoint. Yeah, they were already looking to do that a long time ago, but I feel like this is the in. You know, you have these companies are more or less trying to have their cake and eat it too by saying that none of these employees work for us. Or I mean, none of these employees are ours. They're all contract labor. And then turning around and saying, we're also not responsible for anything they do. From a customer's perspective, you're not hiring an independent contractor to go drive you around. You're hiring an Uber driver. From a customer perspective, there is no difference between Joe Driver and Uber. They are one and the same. And so for the company to sit here and claim that these aren't our employees, the customer sitting there going, I don't give a shit who they work for. I don't give a shit if he's the king of England. That's still your responsibility. So this is an ongoing problem and really fits into what I think is our best definition of capitalism. The capitalism podcast was brought to you by the ramblings of two crazy people at Minimal Useful Industries. If you hate yourself and would like to learn more, while maybe having a bit of a laugh, we invite you to check out our website at minimallyuseful.com. If you'd like to check out more from the careers of our incredible music, check out heftone.com or search for Heftone Banjo Orchestra. A link to their website is in our description. Until next time, love Minimally Useful Industries.